Hi, and welcome to Season 2 of Big Sound Small Town, the podcast that spotlights the talented and diverse musicians in small towns and communities. This season, we're branching out to include the community of people who make it possible for musicians to be able to perform their music, the producers, the recording engineers, the venue owners, and many others, and as always, the small town musicians. Remember, small town doesn't mean small talent. Hear their stories. Today on Big Sound Small Town, we're in the Dragonfly Wine Market, and my guest is multi-instrumentalist, singer, songwriter, frontman, and rock legend, Luke Edwards. Welcome to the show, Luke. Oh, thanks, Sandy. Uh, you're flattering me a little bit there, man, but I'll take it where I can get it. I appreciate it. Well, Good to be here. It's the true... I mean, you're... <laughs> You're the rock legend of the county, man. Well, I, <laughs> I've never been called that, but I would I would take that title and wear it proudly, man. I think you should. I think you should. <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, all right. We won't start with Animal Bag. Let's 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 take it back to when did you actually know that music was going to be your life? It's funny how it all got started for me because I, it really started in fifth grade. I was fortunate enough, I went to, um, we moved around a lot when I was young, uh, you know, from place to place, renting houses while my parents were building a house and stuff right. like that. So I ended up going to a lot of different schools. Well, in fifth grade, I just happened to be at Jefferson School for that year. Jefferson was doing an experimental program called IME. It was Instrumental Music Exploration. Oh, okay. And it was one of those things that they tried it, and I, I, I think it lasted the one year I was there, which I, I'm very fortunate that I was there for it. But what they would do is, like, one I think it was one day a week, we would get go out to this little trailer back behind the school, and for a third of the year, you got to try to play guitar. For a third of the year, you got to try to play fiddle. Yeah. And for a third of the year, you got to try to play cello. Oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah, so we, so I went through these things. Um, hated the guitar, man. Hated it. Couldn't under, couldn't get the chords. Right. Made my fingers hurt, you know, because yeah, you oh, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. didn't didn't dig it. Um, got to the fiddle. I could, couldn't. You know how you know how fiddle yeah, is, I man. You know, yes, it's I killing do. cats. Yes, it is. So and it was yeah. So that didn't work out for me. Got to the cello. Loved the cello, man. I mean, loved it. You know. 
So the next year when I went to sixth grade, we went to um, Cleveland. They sent all the sixth graders from all the um, city schools to Cleveland School. Yeah. You know, this oh, is yeah. back then, you know. So we were all together over at Cleveland School, and that was the first year you could sign up for orchestra. Okay. Well, this is Ed Allison was doing Ed, it. Yeah, I, was, yeah. I was thinking that was probably the Ed, Ed Yeah, Allison. oh, yeah. Ed Allison's probably uh, launched a lot of musical careers, you know. Yes, he has. So, yeah. So, anyway, so. Um, it, with my sixth grade thought processes, I figured, well, I said, well, I really liked the cello a lot. If I liked the cello, I would probably really like the upright bass yeah. because, you know, I'm just right. thinking, you know, size and everything, you know. So I signed up to learn how to play the upright bass in orchestra. So, you know, I started, you know, got into all that, started orchestra, started learning how to play this bass and everything, really enjoyed it, you know. And so then somebody came along and clued me in, and they said, well, you know the strings on an electric bass are the same as that upright bass. And it was like a light went on, man. So I went home, and I said, Mom, I said, I want an electric bass for Christmas. And so I remember we went down. Uh, this is when Doug Benson still had yeah, Apple Tree Music. Yeah, it was down there in the old Marion Mall yeah, down there, you know. Yeah, oh, yeah, that was when he was yeah, first. Oh, yeah. Oh, remember when that when the old 10-string uh, B.C. Yes, Rich used to yeah, hang up there forever. Yeah, oh, yeah. Everybody used to go and drool over the B.C. Oh, Rich yeah, and everything. Did, yeah. So I went in there and ended up getting a uh, little Zap bass amp. And I got an area short scale SG bass, you know, yeah. and that was that was my first rig, you know. No. And so I got that, and I started, you know, figuring out how to play the electric bass. And what, but, what were you listening to to learn to play? I mean, oh man, at, at that time, yeah, uh, just like uh, you know, ACDC, yeah, the real yeah. simple stuff, yeah. you know, stuff like that. But rock well, and roll, rock, I mean, rock and roll. It was yeah. definitely rock and roll. Yeah. yeah. And so, anyway, uh, bass players must have been in short supply at that time. Still because are. They still are, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, I had these guys from high school hit me up. I'm in sixth grade, you know. <laughs> these guys from high school hit me up that were looking for a bass player, couldn't find one, and asked me if I wanted to go jam. So, you know, it's the next thing I know, I'm over with these guys, you know, jamming with these high school guys. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, you know. And th one thing leads to another. And, you know, all of a sudden, I'm like playing, you know, keg parties, high school keg parties and stuff. And I'm like this little sixth grader going, whoa, so this is what it's like. And so, you know, I was hooked, oh, man. I, oh, you know, I'm I was sure. hooked, yeah, man. Yeah, you know, I was having so much fun. And then so the next year in seventh grade, I ended up hooking up with um, – David Wilson, yeah, yeah. Brian Klontz, and yeah. Rodney Conley, and we started um, Iron Horse oh, yeah. when I was in seventh grade, you know, and so we uh, we were the darlings of Shelby High School. We were playing every, every if you needed a, you know, a band at your party, yeah. it was Iron Horse, and then we started playing um, Kate Skating Rink oh, all the yeah. time. Larry Porter had us playing down there all the time. We were doing the tour of Kate's. We'd do the Shelby circuit and then go oh, to Gastonia and playing Gastonia and stuff, you know, screaming 10 to 14-year-old girls, you know. So. But a great gig for the time. Oh, man, it was the greatest thing ever. It was the first time you got to feel what it was like to be like, you know, rock star, oh, yeah, you know, really, and everything. Really, yeah. But I mean, and it you was... had a little circuit, didn't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was, man, we were playing. I can remember... You remember when the Stardust yeah, was down on, yeah, you know, on oh, 18 yeah, or whatever, you know, 
is a brown bagging joint and everything. Yes, it was, yeah. So I can remember our parents dropping us off at the Stardust because we were too young to drive. <laughs> and going in there and playing a gig at the Stardust and stuff. Okay, you know? then this is an important part, really important. Yeah. You always had support with your from, from your family for your music. Man, I, I I am so fortunate. My mom and dad have supported me with this from I mean from the first time I picked up an instrument. That's man. the key, I think. That is the key. It is the key. Man, I I it, it, I couldn't have been blessed with better parents I mean you, you, I couldn't have asked for better right. they even we were we got to where we were practicing in the basement at my mom and dad's house it was an unfinished basement at the time right and we were so loud that when my mom would try to cook upstairs pots would rattle <laughs> off the burners and stuff you know but so, that's great so rather than kick us out of the basement they put up a suspended ceiling down there to kind of insulate the sound you know I mean that's the kind of support I had that's great and, uh, when you were telling me they were driving you to like oh stars, yeah dropping I mean, me off yeah and knowing it, where you're going you didn't have to tell them you were going to play no, a teen club I know. had South playing teen clubs so oh yeah exactly yeah man but but I agree with you 100% man just, just having parents oh, that are giving you that kind of encouragement that is i mean that's half the battle oh, right it there is. it, it is. is i mean you know so oh, yeah. yeah i was very very fortunate you know so so you're on the circuit are you still at this point are you still playing in the orchestra too yeah yeah okay. i played i played in orchestra through like it's either 10th or 11th grade and then i and then i got busy with other stuff i, I had by that point i was like well, I was working as one of the editors for the yearbook, right. and I was doing student council and all well, kinds of other stuff. You we know. haven't got there yet, but I'm going to go into that when we get there too. Okay, okay. a little, which ties into what we just said. Right? right. Yeah. But you know, but I finally got to where I was so busy with orchestra, and at that point, my folk, my. You know, I still enjoyed the orchestra stuff, but my right. focus had shifted yeah. to rock and roll. Yeah, rock and definitely, roll yeah. there's a lot more glory. <laughs> there's yeah. a lot more, a lot song, more gigs. Song, yeah, songs are better too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. way easier to get a gig yeah, than yeah, it is yeah, yeah with a, with a rock yeah. band than an orchestra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. <laughs> so was was Ed Allison the whole? Was he the band director the whole time? Yeah, the yeah, Ed was the whole time, and and, and I and. Ed and I got along so good, you know. In fact, um, you know, this, this is skipping forward a little bit, but, you know, when I graduated high school and opted to move to Los Angeles with a rock and roll band instead of going to college, Ed even called my mom and was like, you sure you want to let him do this, you know, and everything. But, Ed, you know, Ed was always okay. real concerned about, you know, what went on with me. That's so, good because that leads up to where, where yeah. I was going. Yeah. Now, I don't know how to tactfully approach this, but uh, you were you, you you had a pretty high ranking in your class. I mean, going to college, going to a good college <laughs> was, was a big option for you. Yes, it was. You know, I mean, I I, I, I worked hard, man. You know, I, I applied myself all through high school, and, and I worked really hard to try to. You know, I mean, it, it's just something that I've always I've enjoyed learning stuff, you know, whether it's music or anything. And so uh, it was just one of those things. It wasn't a forced thing for me. It was just something I wanted to right. do. I just always applied myself through school and ended up doing well in school. I graduated second in my yeah, class, you know, and, um, you know, and I'm proud of that. I am, right. you know, because, you know, because I didn't go to college. It's, you you it, also got accepted to good colleges. Right? Oh, yeah. I had... I had um, uh, 
substantial scholarship offer from Wake, Wake Forest. I, um, I, you know, I mean, there was a, there was a lot of options there, you know. And um, uh, but you also uh, accepted Harvard too, right? I, I was offered to go to uh, my eleventh grade year. They I got the invitation to do summer school at Harvard. Yeah, and um, it actually just found the stuff that they oh, sent really? me from Harvard in a box of stuff from my mom the other day. That, so. This is a key part of this story because uh, that also is either I mean you had you had options. I did. But, I did. But you chose music. Music, man, and you and I have talked about this earlier. Music is, it, 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 when you get in it to this level, it's both a blessing and somewhat of a curse. It is, yes, it because is. Because you will give up opportunities, you'll give up chances at good employment, yes, you'll you give will. you'll give up a lot of things just to be able to. A lot of people give up marriages, a marriages, whole, everything, whole and, and that's another thing. We'll get into how fortunate I am there when we get to there, but. Um, but no, you'll you'll give up all kinds of stuff just to be able to pursue playing music. If it's you know, it, 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 it's one of those things that when you when you get involved with it, it you reach a point where it becomes something that if it's really in there for you, it, it's something you got to do. Yeah, you is. don't really have an option. You really don't. You really don't. You, you know, really I don't. mean, it's just part of your character. It's part of your you know, it's just part of the, it's the way you're wired. You it, know, it, and it it's is. something you got to do. I agree. Now. Your parents were good with the option of, of not going to college. Actually, they were, man. They they I had guidance when I just, when I opted to move. I moved to Los Angeles. Um, I was, was nineteen. Straight out of high school. I was nineteen at the time. Okay. Yeah, right after high school, I was close to turning twenty. But uh, yeah, I joined up with a rock and roll band out of Charlotte. You now, know, the, now this, this were you doing that? This rock and roll band that's going to lead you there. Were you doing that in, still in high school or, or, or not yet? Actually, uh, there was a there was a transitional band between Iron Horse and Animal Bag. Okay. Um, uh, uh, John Reed at Shelby Music yeah, Center John had put Bill. together a um, a little band. You know, it, it's funny because now I guess it would be kind of like you know what uh, we weren't a we weren't a you know a boy band or anything right. like that. But it was kind of one of those engineered bands yeah, like yes, that where yes. you know you get guys and put you, it together. You remember who was in that one? Oh yeah, it was a band called The Trust, and it's funny because you've entered. Uh, it was me, Ron Philbeck, the yeah. Potter, was playing yeah. drums. Ron's yeah. drummer, Eddie Cook was playing guitar. Yeah. Uh, Harold Willis was playing guitar. Yeah. Steve Edmondson was yeah. playing bass. Oh yes, yeah, Steve. And I was just uh, singing. I was frontman. Oh, you know? frontman, whole frontman. Yeah, oh. and so that was The Trust, and and we actually, actually those are talented musicians. Oh, dude, it was a great band. I mean, it was yeah. a really good band, yeah, I, you know. I, I, and, those are talented guys. Yeah, we were playing. Uh, we ended up playing. I think we were the first rock and roll band to play like Dixie Electric Company down yeah, at Myrtle Beach. Yeah, you know, they yeah. because they had typically been a dance club, right. and they toyed with having bands there for right. a little while. We were one of the first bands. We played some stuff in Tennessee, Gatlinburg, and stuff like that. Um, a lot of stuff at Kate's Skating Rink, doing shows with Sugar Creek yeah, and stuff yeah. like that back in the day. So, you yeah, know, that's cool, though. So that was the first. You know, we, had a, we had a big school bus and everything. You know, we traveled around. And that was first. That my first flirtation with really, like, going on the road, that's even pretty, though it was just, like, weekend stuff. That's pretty you know? heady stuff, though, for, uh, what, 17, 18 Yeah, 17, 18, when I was doing that's that. That's pretty heady. I mean, yeah. that's, um, so, you that's, know. that's pretty big. Yeah, and um, it, was, it was great, you know, because... 
that was the first time I got to test the waters as actually like going on the road and right, playing, right. you know, and it's, stuff like that. Because now that weeds that oh, decides for a lot of people how, to what extent, too. yeah, to what extent you're doing it. Because there are a lot of people that are incredible musicians that Can't have handle the road. they have no desire at all to go yep. on the road, you know. Yeah, so I do, I do know that well. Yeah, but I enjoy I enjoyed it, man. I had a good time with. It. I enjoyed going to play playing to people that I'd never played to before, trying to win them well, over. At that and, point, were you doing original stuff? That was one of the deciding points and why I left the trust to go to Animal Bag. We had a couple of original songs, but the trust mostly was a cover band. Right. And um, I, I really wanted to write more original stuff. Right. And um, it's funny because, you know, I mean, we were playing a good bit. You know, I mean, it wasn't a lack of gigs or a lack right. of, you know, popularity. The band was doing good and all that stuff. But I was just kind of, you know, I, I wanted to do original stuff. I wanted to write songs. And that, nobody, I won't say nobody had any interest, but nobody wanted to take the time away from, you know, we already had a thing rolling right. with the covers. It's like, you know, oh, well, we just need to rotate a few more new covers in yeah. and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. And the, the, the focus seemed to be on that, you yes. know, rather than writing original music. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I can remember I was, um, I had gone to Charlotte to see a, a band at the Park Elevator back oh, in the day, God, you know. Yeah, I can yeah. even tell you what band it was. It was like a hair metal band called Dirty Looks. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so I'm there to see them, and I run into um, a girl I know from Charlotte, and we're just catching up, talking. And she's like, well, how's it going? You still playing? And I said, yeah. And I said, still doing the trust thing, you know, still playing, you know. I said, I said, I don't know, it's going good. I said, we're playing a lot, you know, but it's it's just all covers. You know, I said, I'd really like to do more original stuff. And she said, really? She said, well, I got some friends that have a band that, you know, that's pretty much all they do is original, you know, or that's their focus. And she said, um, they're getting ready to part ways with their singer. And she said, um, might be something you might be interested in. And she said, I'll introduce you. Uh, she said, drummer will be here tonight. I'll introduce him to you. And so she introduced me to Boo from Animal Bag, yeah. you know, that night. And so we talked for a minute, you know, there at the show and everything. And he said, yeah, man. He said, um, well, if you want to come audition, he said, you know, I'd love to have you audition for the band, you know, and everything. I said, yeah, I'd love to, man. He said, well, you going to the David Lee Roth show? And I was like, yeah, I'm going. And so it was at the old Coliseum, you know, so... Um, I ended up meeting Boo in, there was a thing called the tunnel at oh, the old Coliseum, you know, where the yeah, tunnel, where you yeah, went yeah, to the yeah, floor. Yeah, yeah. You know, he said, meet me in the tunnel, man, and I'll have a cassette for you with some of our songs on it. So Boo brought me a cassette with like, you know, seven of their original songs on it. And so he'd say, you know, go listen to these and everything, come jam sometime. So, you know, I took the tape, you know, about a week later, we got together to jam. And, you know, it's like, well, which song you want to try doing? I said, oh, I'm good with any of them. I, he's, um, you know, I said, I've learned all of them. And um, they were like, couldn't believe that I had, like, <laughs> learned all the songs and everything, you know, with, didn't have to have a lyric right. sheet or anything like that. And so, you know, I jammed with those guys, and it went great. And so the next day I get a call from Boo, and he says, hey, man, you're in. Um, he said, you think you could be ready to open for Crocus in five days? And I said, sure. Oh, yeah, of and course so that you did. was my first gig with them. 
was opening for Crocus man. at the Park Elevator. That's, so, pretty, that's you know, crazy, man. I, I just found the flyer from that first show, that's man. That's absolutely crazy. Yeah, so that was, and uh, man, you talk about being hooked. Oh, then yeah, I, oh, I mean, I'm it was sure. packed, yeah, you know, it was oh, packed, yeah. and all the because they already had a fan base, right. you know, and so I just kind of stepped into that, and it was the greatest thing ever. And they were already making plans at that time to. Um, Move to either New York or Los Angeles to try to pursue it to the next level. And it's you know? cool because you stepped in as a singer. You could go in as a bass player, and it's not the same impact as going in as a singer. Oh yeah, and, I mean, and it's and, and you know going in as a singer when a band already has had an established frontman right. is a challenge in its yeah, own. Oh yeah, because it you're is, always I you know I mean you look at you know Van Halen yeah. and all these other bands that have done it you know. You can go in at, you know, there are going to be some people it's that... always going to love the... the there, some other. people are going to enjoy what you do, and some people, for them, the sound was the other guy, yeah, and it, it'll it never is. be the same. And, you and know? it's that way anytime you replace somebody. Yeah, oh yeah, exactly. So, th Particularly I'm, as a singer. Exactly, particularly, yeah. yeah. And so, I, I thankfully, I was well-received, you know, with that, and and um, you know, ended up making a lot of good friends just right off the bat, and everything worked out great. So, you know, I was fortunate in that aspect that I wasn't shunned and ridiculed. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, well, that's uh, so. All right, so so, so y'all decided what some point. I mean, how long did you play with them before you decided? We to gigged move? around Charlotte for probably a little over, you know, maybe a little over a year, right around a year. You know, um, that was your full-time employment at the time. No, I, I was still working at the mall in okay. Shelby. My mom yeah, and dad right. had that store endless summer yeah, out there. Right, you know, yeah. so I was, I, you know, working with the family business. I'd go out there, but Animal Bag, man, they they had a work ethic like I, I've still never been in a really? band with the kind of work ethic That's they great, had though. because those guys, they were. I mean, it was practice, practice, practice. Because you know, in addition to the, you know complex instrumental stuff they were doing right you know everything was really heavy with three-part harmonies oh yeah you know, yeah, a lot yeah, of three-part yeah. harmonies and so that's you know really, you got to work so on yeah so we we practiced down. i mean we would practice like four days a week you know yeah. and like i was have to drive to charlotte oh, to practice yeah. so i'd work all day and then leave straight from my job at the mall drive an hour to charlotte and practice till midnight and then drive all back right. and get up the next morning and go to work you know and so it was um you know, that was the first, you know, thing that one of the things that kind of tests your commitment level, yeah, it does. you know, yeah. you know, so, um, but yeah, so uh, we gigged around for maybe a year or so. And um, like I said, at the time when I joined the band, they knew they wanted to move. You know, they were all kind of saving up for this right. move. And uh, at the time, it was kind of a coin toss between New York and Los Angeles. And then we decided on Los Angeles. Yeah, and actually, I already had a few friends that were already living out there that had gone out there, uh, you know, that kind of spun out of that right. Charlotte music scene yeah. and everything. So anyway, so we ended up, you know, moving to Los Angeles. This would have been, uh, you know, I guess 89 that we moved to Los Angeles. And, um, you know, there for a while, like, I, I I was living in an apartment in Glendale with, like, it was like five of us in one apartment, you know, and stuff like that. Well, so, you know. Every, that's every band on the way up. Oh, yeah, I mean, exactly, you know. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate. brother's house. I mean, yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So I, I was fortunate I got a good job, you know, right after I moved there, which was also music-related in a way because I, I got a job working for a clothing company called Lip Service uh -huh. that did a bunch of clothes for, you know, the bigger rock and roll bands and stuff. Like, uh, I was, you know, shipping stuff to, like, Guns N' Roses oh, when yeah. they were on the road, oh, yeah. and, you know, Skid Row and stuff like that. And I, I can remember um, talking to um, Peter 
Peter Frampton on the phone when he was going out as the touring guitarist for David Bowie and oh, stuff man. like yeah. that. Oh, yeah. So, you know, so I was getting to meet a lot of cool people. You know, Billy Sheehan would come down to the warehouse. The guys from uh, L.A. Guns, oh, you know, yeah, Faster yeah. Pussycat, yeah, yeah. all those kind of bands. So, you know, that was cool because you kind of got to meet a lot of, you know, people that were on that next level that you're trying to oh, get that to. that you're trying to get trying to. to get there, you know. Yeah, it's actually a good job. Oh, it was a great gig, man, you know. And I was there until we fi- until Animal Bag got signed. And that the reason I had to bow out of that job, because I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, was because, you know, things were getting so busy with Animal Bag and we were having to record an album and all that kind of stuff. So, you know. All right. That's, so. that's, that's good. Okay. I'm back with Luke, Luke Edwards, and uh, we're living in Los Angeles, and yeah. uh, I think we're just about to get signed. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, we moved out there, and we started, you know, just kind of trying to figure out how to break into that scene. Yeah, because, was it I mean, hard to find jobs? Jobs were kind of hard, you know. I mean, there's plenty of jobs as long as there's enough of you living in an apartment, you know. Right. You know, because it, it's hard to find, you know, really good paying jobs and was still play ba- rock and was roll. Was the band able to find jobs? Yeah, yeah. You know, okay. like you know, Otis ended up doing, you know, working as a courier. Okay. You know, and uh, you know, it, it was like we we found jobs that we could do and still be able it's to jam and pl- play yeah. and stuff like that. You know. So we, um, the hard part as a band was that L.A. music scene was just so giant because, you know, we were out there, we were out there at a great time because it was the tail end of the hair metal sunset strip scene. And then the new scene that was coming in, it was kind of, it was still kind of up in the air. Nobody really knew what the next big thing was going to be. But you had all these really interesting bands, you know, it was like that whole Jane's Addiction kind of thing and all that Mm kind of scene that there wasn't a term for it, but it became alternative, you know, was coming in, you know. So anyway, we, um, we started, you know, playing wherever we could, you know, we're trying to avoid the pay to play thing. Right, where you had yeah, to do all which, that, which at the time in LA was, was the status big, quo, yeah, man. Was, Everybody was, was doing it. You know, yeah. if you wanted to play the bigger clubs, you did sure. pay to play. We did one pay to play gig the whole time we were there. We uh, did a pay to play at Gazzari's, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, but the rest of the time, we figured out how to get on. You know, we got got to know a lot of different, you know, promoters and stuff like that, where we could get on shows without having to do the pay to play right. thing. Yeah. And so we ended up playing. I mean, we played. You know, the whiskey. We played the rain. I mean, uh, 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 whiskey, uh, Gazzari's, um Club Lingerie was a really good club for us. Um, uh, we played Raji's. You know, we yeah. played. You know, I mean, all, all those kind of places. You know. 
And so anyway, we had been playing around for a little while and we were getting a lot of comparisons to like Faith No More and stuff like that, you know. But we had gotten kind of to where we had started to get a little bit of attention and everything. Um, we had a woman, Meredith Day, that was um, acting as manager for us that was able to open a lot of doors for us that we couldn't open ourselves. You know, Meredith had been involved with that whole scene. She was a really accomplished rock and roll photographer, had oh, been okay. for years. And Did so, take but, pictures for you guys, too? I just took some great oh, pictures. Man, somewhere that's there's great. a... That's great. There's a lenticular 3D picture of us somewhere oh, man, that's about. Oh, that? listen, I don't know where it is. I wish I could find it. It was a display in Tower Records, oh, actually. You oh, know, so. God, that would be so good. Oh, yeah. So, it, but it was cool. But anyway, so um, we had started to get some attention, and um, Warner Brothers had shown some interest in us to the point they had us come in and play an acoustic set down in Ted Templeman's office, oh, believe it or not. Yeah, so, it's pretty big so yeah, so we're in Ted Templeman's office playing an acoustic set for all these people, you know, A&R guys right. from Warner Brothers, you know. So Warner Brothers um, ends up kind of tying us up there for a little while. They rented a rehearsal room for us, and we're going to have us do some private showcases for them and stuff like that. We couldn't talk to other labels oh, yeah. while they were doing this, you know. We, we, we're just uh, going, oh, man, oh, it's going to happen. Oh, yeah, this yeah, is it, oh, man. Yeah. We're going to get signed yeah. to Warner Brothers. Yeah. You know, it's going to be great. And so they rented this place um, called The Alley in North Hollywood, which was actually the place where uh, the guys from, like, Jackson Brown and Little Feet and... Um, you know, Monty Ray yeah. and um, Linda Ronstadt, they, uh, you know, those guys used to all live there and practice there and stuff. It was like a communal jam, you know, how, you know place. Too cool. You know, and so, th but it had turned into like showcase and rehearsal studios. Right. They rented that out for us and um, we did a big showcase for Warner Brothers and everything. And we, everything seemed, appeared to be going great. Right. And then all of a sudden, we just got this call and they went, yeah, we pass. Oh, <laughs> and man, it, it was like getting gut punched, man. You know, because we just knew that was going to happen, and just all of a sudden, I'm sure. you know, we sure. we'd been tied up for two months, you know, and just, it, it, I mean, it, you talk about knocking the wind out of your sails. Did they ever tell you why? No, huh? Never told us why. Industry changing. No, yeah, just just, just went. We pass, you know, and so I mean, it it. It started off as just like disappointment, and then it turned into like anger. Oh, I'm sure. You know, man. Yeah. We, oh, yeah. And so, anyway, right after this happened, we had a gig booked at Club Lingerie, which had turned into like our home spot in right. L.A. or whatever. We'd played a lot of shows there and stuff. And so we we were just to the point where we were like, you know what? I don't care anymore. You know, let's just, you know, I, I, I'm tired of trying to play the game. I'm trying, you know. And so we went in that night. And we delivered this angry, aggressive, you know, just show that, you know, just like, you know, and it was just like, screw everything, you know, yeah. and, and just so happened that Bobby Carlton from Mercury Records was there, and Bobby had been kind of following us at arm's length. He hadn't right. really, you know, hadn't really come around and said a whole lot, you know, but, 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 but he, he, he liked us, yeah, right. and so Bobby had... Um, Bob Scoro, who at that time was the um, president of Mercury Records with him, he had brought him to the show that night. Well, we just delivered this brutal show that night, man. It was great. And uh, talking to Bobby later on, Bobby said he was standing there with Bob Scoro watching the show. And he said that Bobby elbowed, and that uh, Scoro elbowed him and said, if you want them, get them. Oh. And so that, you know, the next day, you know, we were offered 
you know, a deal with Mercury. And, and when I say Mercury, it was even cooler because they wanted to put the album out on Stardog Records, <laughs> which Stardog was the subsidiary of Mercury that was started by um, Mother Love Bone, oh, yeah, which man, became Pearl Jam, like you know. Jam, yeah. And so to get an album out on Stardog, you had to have the approval of the surviving members of Mother Love Bone, which were the guys from Pearl Jam. So they had to hear your what you wanted to do, and they go, yeah, that can come out on Stardog. That's and so cool. they approved us to come out on Stardog. We had their blessing. That's and, just really cool. Oh, man, it was great. And so, you know... Um, blessing in the skies in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, so anyway... All of a sudden, you know, we have a you know a record deal on the table here and everything, and um, it, it, it everything just kind of started moving quick. You know, it was like um, once we got the we had, we were fortunate to have a really good attorney. Um, Henry Root was our attorney. He's now the attorney for Viacom, handles MTV and VH1 <laughs> yes. and everything. You know, yeah, so, that's pretty big time. Yeah, so Henry was great, man, and Henry was you know great at negotiating the deal for us because we got a really good deal considering we were nobody right because normally you just you know you get into your first record deal you're just at you know at their mercy at the mercy of the label you know whatever but we ended up with like you know mutual blocking rights to where you know basically you know if we didn't want to do something and they wanted to do it you know we could say no and and vice versa you could basically just sit there and look at each other all day till one of you caved in but you know but it was cool but it was funny, the only thing that we, you know, when we were negotiating and putting together this deal, you know, since we were getting signed to Mercury, we were all giant Rush fans, you know. So Henry's like, you know, well, what all do you guys, is there anything else you guys want in this deal after we had worked out all the particulars of the deal? We said, yeah, we each want the full Mercury Rush catalog on CD. <laughs> That's crazy, man. That's crazy. And they gave it to us. Really? Yeah, they got. I had at home. I have every Rush CD that was released on CD from the record deal. You know, we That's got all that. That's crazy, man. That's, that's, see, that is the big time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's funny that you know. I mean, you find out later on that there's all this stuff that bands ask for that are way more important oh, than yeah, that. All we wanted got, was some CDs. Yeah, you know, so. you could have got a lot better. Deal, oh yeah, we could have got yeah, a lot more. Yeah, yeah. but. We they were, were happy. probably laughing. Yeah, man. yeah they're yeah. going to, all they want CDs. Yeah, give them, to give them, them some CDs. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. That's yeah, really but funny. Yeah, we felt, we felt like we'd done something, you know. So, but yeah, so we ended up with the record deal, you know, and then we ended up, um, the first album, we ended up recording it with a guy, um, Guy Charbonneau. Guy, ha- um, I think we were maybe Guy's first production credit. But Guy owns a truck. He's a French-Canadian. Guy owns a truck called Le Mobile, and it's a mobile recording truck. And it's the truck that recorded Exit Stage Left for Rush. It recorded Dylan and the Dead. I mean, it's recorded all these famous recordings, you know. And so the first album was recorded on that mobile truck. Guy had a um, warehouse warehouse type thing where he could pull the truck in there, and the truck served as the control room, and then he had little isolation rooms in In there. In that warehouse. Right, in the warehouse. So, you know, but we recorded the whole thing in seven days, that first album. That's basic tracks, overdubs, vocals, everything. We had seven days into it, you know. And so the first album, you know... um, I, I, you know, you, you know how it is with your first album. You listen back to it now, and there's tons of stuff you would change, you know, and everything. 
but it was you know but it was great and it was such an experience getting to go in and oh, do that yeah, I'm sure and, I mean. and it's funny because I mentioned Peter Frampton earlier man but um, Peter Frampton rented a rehearsal studio in this same building where Guy had the truck oh, where we were recording right. I was trying to get a keyboard sound on there was a, um, a song called last one on the album that we wanted this keyboard we wanted it to sound like Deep Purple or something yeah. but they, they and they had a draw bar organ there but it wasn't a B3 right. you know and so I was like well how can we get this thing to sound more you know distorted like a B3 oh, yeah. and Guy, Guy spoke with a real heavy you know French accent he says oh I do not know much about these things he said Peter will be here in a little while we will ask him <laughs> you know and so sure enough later on here came Peter Frampton you know <laughs> and he sat down on a, a um, piano bench at this thing with me and showed me how to work this drawbar really? organ. And he, I'm sitting here like right next to Peter Frampton. He's he, showing me how to work and, a drawbar. And, and he knew how. Oh, yeah. He, he knew all stuff. He, he's a brilliant guy. He knows all kinds of stuff. But he knew how to work this organ. And he's like sitting there showing me what the different stuff does. You know, and I'm just sitting here on a piano. I, I was like, wow, I'm sitting That's on a piano Peter, bench with, Peter, with Peter, Frampton. Peter Frampton, you know. <laughs> and it's funny because I'm, I'm going to get Otis in trouble here. I just won't care, though. But it, Otis and Boo, they were done with all the rhythm tracks by then. We were doing overdubs. And so Otis and Boo had been hanging out, like, uh, probably just drinking beer over in the lounge there at the studio, you know. So anyway, Peter had been there, and we were wrapping up, and it was, you know, me and Peter Frampton and Guy, you know, the producer, standing there talking, you know, saying, you know, I, you know, I was thanking him for, you know, hanging out with us and everything. Well, Otis comes trucking in from the um, <laughs> from the lounge, and you know, Otis was several beers into it, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. and he and he didn't know who was there, you know. And now this was not Frampton comes alive, you know, You're Peter right, Frampton. Right. This is later on, you know, receding hairline, Peter oh, yeah. Frampton, okay. you yeah, know, gotcha. yeah. you know. So anyway, we're standing there, you know, and I'm like, man, I really, you know, shaking his hand going, I think I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You know, it's great to meet you. And Otis just kind of rolls into the conversation and he goes, yeah, man, thanks for your help. And he's like, oh, no problem. And uh, Otis goes, what was your name, man? (laughs) (laughs) And you could tell he got the biggest kick out of it because he looked at him and he smiled and he went, Peter Frampton <laughs> and then he just kind of walked off and Otis is just standing there kind of dumbfounded <laughs> looking he and he went nah <laughs> <laughs> but man it was so much fun you know we got the first album out it came out well not long after it came out we were playing this pool party thing for some um, you know some of the staff at Mercury right. and Bob Scoro the president of the label he was real into us he was very supportive of us right. well Bob was there and he um, we played some of our acoustic material by the pool well Bob was just blown away by the acoustic stuff and so after that he said we got to get you guys back in the studio. He said, I want you to do a um, just a little acoustic EP. Yeah. He said, I'm just going to give you a little bit of money. He said, I want it to sound kind of like a demo tape. You know, he said, and he said, I want to package it with the first album, you know, do a limited nice. run of it and, you know, just We're give cool, them away yeah. with the first album, you know. We're like, cool. So he gives us, I think they gave us, you know, like $5,000, yeah. which sounds like a lot, but in yeah. big label stuff, that, True, was, yeah. that was nothing. Right. And they were like, go find your own person, do it however you want. So we went and found this guy that had a little portable eight track. You know, this is everything's on you know tape back then. Yeah. You know, and so we recorded in this guy's apartment in Hollywood. We had to record during the day when his neighbors were gone to work and stuff. You know, <laughs> right? So we recorded all this stuff, and it came out great. And when we delivered it. 
to the label, they listened to it and they said, oh, this is too good to give away. This is going to be your second release. <laughs> and so that's how Offering, the second animal okay. bag release, came about. Ah. That was supposed to be a giveaway, but we did all of the, you know, we found the guy, did everything ourselves, you know, did the packaging ourselves, drew all the artwork ourselves, delivered it, and they thought it was too good to give away, so they released it as our second release. How cool you is know? that? So man. that was really cool. That was one of the coolest stories I know. There. You know, uh, but it, it was, but it was weird because I guess in a way it kind of it was it was confusing for the fan base yeah, you were starting be. to build because yeah. the first album was kind of heavy, and then you get this totally acoustic like Led Zeppelin meets Jethro Tull, you know, second release, and then. Anyway, the animal bag thing, we toured. We played a lot of really great. I mean, they stuck us out that first album. They stuck us on the road for 11 months without a break. Wow. We were playing five or six nights a week for 11 months, man. We went back and forth across the United States three times. We went into Canada. We went into Mexico. Uh, You know, we had the video on MTV. We did the stuff on Headbangers Ball. You know, I mean, you know. It was it was great, man. It was just I mean, you know, I'm like what 22, 23 at the time. Did, I guess you you did seal your road fate during that time. It's oh, one of those things that you you, you could have walked away and said never again. After oh that. man, and that was hard. Yeah, but you know, and it and it was, and we were ready for a break after that tour was over with. But you know, I mean, but after a couple of weeks, you know, you're ready. Oh, to go, yeah, you're ready, ready to go, go again, oh, man. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, you start yeah, missing it. Yeah, so yeah. you know, but anyway, so came time to do. The third album, which would have been the second, you know, real real album, you know. So they send us to Seattle to do that one. And they're going to spend some money on this one. They got Terry Date to produce it. Terry Date did, you know, Bad Motor Finger for Soundgarden, did all the Pantera albums, did first Deftones album. I mean, you know, Terry's just, you know, incredible producer. Hired Terry to uh, produce it. Um, Basically moved us to Seattle for like three months. And uh, we did all the um, basic tracks at Bad Animals Studios, which is Studio Hard-Ons up there. And then we did the overdubs at Bear Creek Studio out in Woodenville. And there's actually been a documentary on Bear Creek that just came out a few years ago that's pretty interesting, you know. But we did all the overdubs out there at Bear Creek. And... um, They were dropping some money. Oh, listen, they spent, uh, you know, I mean, they spent like a quarter of a million dollars on this thing, man. You know, I mean, it was, uh, you know... And then... All of a sudden, here comes the end. You know, I mean, grunge came in. Yeah, well, you would have been in Seattle, too, during that time. Yeah, we were there, you know, during all this. But grunge came along, and, you know, we were one of those bands, three-part harmonies, you know, ten different time signature changes, you know, key changes, all that, you know. We were like, you know, Pantera meets Rush or Yes or something like that, you know. And all of a sudden, nobody wants to hear that. It's three-chord, you know, flannel shirt, you know, stripped down rock and roll, which I love grunge. It is. But it was, it, was, it was the death knell for us, man. It was, it was the beginning of the end. And so they, we delivered the album to them. They listened to it. And then they come back to us. And they said, well, we're going to send you back to the studio and we want you to pick a song that's been like a hit before and redo it in your style. And we're like, oh, man, this ain't good. <laughs> no, you know, no, this, this is not good. They don't know what to do with right, us. Exactly. You know, they don't know what yeah. to do. Well, what, what happened during this time, in addition to the grunge thing coming in, 
They cleaned house over at Mercury. They do this with those major labels sure every so often. They yeah. fire everybody, you know. Well, they fired Bob Scoro, president of the label, you know. And Bob was our biggest cheerleader, man. He loved us, you know. So all of a sudden, Bob's gone and Ed Eckstein gets moved to the president of the label. Ed Eckstein was the guy that signed like Tony, Tony, Tony and Vanessa Williams and stuff like that. Yeah, so the, in trouble. <laughs> right, so the focus of the label kind of shifted to R&B and stuff like that. That was the dark ages for the Mercury Acts. That's when, you know, all the bands like Kiss, Bon Jovi, Scorpions, they all just kind of went away for a little while in the 90s there, you know. Yeah, they did. You know, so um, anyway, so we, they kept pushing back the release on this, pushing back the release on it, pushing back the release on it, you know. Did you did you record the song? Did you go record the yeah. other song? Okay. Yeah, we did Waiting for the Sun, The Doors. You oh, can hear yeah, it. You yeah. can find it on YouTube. Oh, it's on there. Cool. Yeah. 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 In fact, the whole album that was never released is called Image Damage, and it's on YouTube. You oh, know, really? you can go on there and listen to all of it, you know, and... Um, Anyway, so they kept pushing back the release of it, pushing back the release of it, pushing back the release of it. And finally, you know, after you deliver an album, they have so long to put it out before they get in breach of contract. Well, they got in breach of contract. They asked for an extension. So we gave them one, you know, thinking, well, maybe they'll maybe they'll get it together and get this thing out. Pushed it back, pushed it back, pushed it back. Got into another breach of contract. Came back. See about another extension. At this point, our attorney Henry, he's kind of like, guys, it ain't happening. This ain't gonna happen. He's like, this is. It's obvious we're with the wrong label now. They don't know what to do with it. So he said, I think we'd be better off if we just go ahead and just, since they've gotten in breach of contract, we ask to be released from the deal, and see if there's any way we can find another label that'll pick pick this up. up and put it out. So we got released from our deal with Mercury. And um, and um, there were other labels that were interested, but the problem was Mercury had so much invested. Oh yeah, they wanted too much for. The and they project. had a big name producer that had points riding on this and everything else. And so you know we had all these labels like Metal Blade, Road Racer, all these smaller metal labels that were. I mean, they were released it in a heartbeat, but it was priced so high nobody could afford it. it. So you know, so they ended up shelving it, and it just never got released. So you know, it's just one of those lost albums. You know, it happened to a lot of a lot of bands. It's happened. Probably still happens. Yeah. And so, you know, we floundered along for a little while after that, you know, trying to write some new material and recording a few other songs. But eventually, everybody just kind of started drifting apart, you know. And, um, you know, that was pretty much the end of the animal bag thing. It never, it, it, you know, it, it was never an official end. We just kind of drifted apart and started doing other things, you know. And then, you know... Boo came and actually tried to play, you know, when I decided to move on and when I, when I moved by, you yeah, know, let's get on. All yeah, right, go ahead. Come, we're coming to that. Okay.
come back with Luke, and all of a sudden, Animal Bag is um, changing directions. Yeah, well, Animal Bag has kind of fizzled out at this point, you know, because, it, it, you know, it was kind of like when, when the record deal was over and we couldn't find anybody else that could put it out and we just knew we knew we had just delivered what we thought was the best album we'd ever written you know and it's just basically been shelved it just knocked so much of the wind out of your sails and i think we all just kind of needed some time to just kind of go do other things you know so rich got real into electronic music at that time and started doing a lot of you know electronic stuff and everything we played we did a Few few practices with another guy on guitar for a little while. It didn't work. It was just wasn't the same. So anyway, um, I decided to try something completely different. And um, I'd been going to see when I after I moved back home is when um, Acoustic Syndicate was starting yeah. to get big. You know, mm-hmm. they just released their first album and yeah. stuff like that. And so I'd gone out to Green Acres and saw you know a. a um, Acoustic Syndicate yeah. show and all that stuff and gotten into listening to a lot of that stuff and I was like I guess just as the kind of challenge of just seeing if I could do it I said you know I want to try to learn how to play that kind of stuff yeah. you know and which is, a, which is a big departure from what a you were giant doing. I had no idea how big it was yeah. and I, I mean just learning how to you know retraining your right hand yeah, on sure. guitar yeah, you know when you're used to blues based rock and roll yeah. and then all of a sudden you're having to try to figure out that bluegrass yeah. strumming oh, pattern yeah. and everything you so i mean you're completely retraining yourself yeah, you, you know you and so um i just kind of immersed myself in this kind of it wasn't traditional bluegrass no, but it was kind of not, bl- bluegrassy meets kind of an outlaw country thing yeah, kinda, yeah. you know and you know and out of that is what is is when you know, Tater came into right. being, and Tater started off. It was just a, it, it was a, a two piece, and it was not serious at all. It was me and John Byrne and a drum machine, yeah. and I was playing guitar and singing. John was playing congas, and we had this drum machine that we'd program these beats, and we were doing like bluegrass versions of like Flock of Seagulls songs <laughs> and Devo songs, and just we you know we. I mean, it was just for fun, right. totally for fun. Yeah. In fact, we didn't even have a name I for a long time. Your chops together, though, doing yeah, we, yeah. It was a transition. I exactly, guess. is exactly what it was, man. It was just kind of taking stuff, and you know, um, it, it was stuff that you could mutate without anybody saying, "Well, you're doing that wrong," because right. there was no real right way right. to do it, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, I can remember John and I had just been, you know, we'd just been jamming. We right. were, we weren't planning on really doing much of anything. Didn't even have a name. And uh, the, the, the merry-go-round festival out here at the park yeah. called us and wanted us to play. And so I can remember they called me at work, and I was like, uh, well, let me call John. I'll, I'll let you know, you know if we can do it. So I called. I said, John, I said, merry-go-round festival wants us to play. He's like, really? <laughs> I was like, yeah. I said, that, I, he's like, well, I, I'm, a, I'm in. Let's do it. I said, yeah, me too. He said, I said, the only pro- uh, they want to know what the name of the band is. And so we sat there for a minute, and I think it was John that said that we should uh, have, like, you know, alter egos, and that we would be Tater, but that would be like our last name. And I would be Poe, and he would be Dick. So we were Poe Tater and Dick Tater, you know? And so the, the, so the, the Tater thing was just completely tongue-in-cheek, man. Right. I mean, it was not serious at That's all. A great story there, too. You know? Yeah. It was never intended to be a long-running band or anything. And so we did... We played at the park at the Merry Go Festival, me and John and a drum machine. (laughs) 
playing like Devo, we're through being cool and stuff like this. And everybody's just looking at us like we got three heads. Out oh, I'm sure. Yeah, it at I'm all. sure. Yeah, yeah. But it's funny because the sound man for that show was Roger Padgett. He oh, was running okay. sound out there, you oh, know. Yeah. I guess he had his story. Yeah, time. exactly. Yeah. yeah, he was doing Boulevard music, you know. So Roger was running sound. So anyway, so we started, you know, getting some other gigs and stuff, and we added a bass player. We brought in Steven Johnson on yeah. bass, you know. Hell yeah. And, for, you know, for a while, we were just, uh, you know, playing as a three-piece, you know. And um, so then I, I asked Roger one time, I said, you know, hey, man, do you want to come play some guitar? And he was, at the time, he's like, ah, you know, I don't know, you know, because <laughs> we were we – were, out there, you know, it was really. Oh, he was probably making the switch at the time himself, was he not? He was uh, stepping in with Acoustic Syndicate okay. at that time. So, so he was making the switch from being the electric from being player. a rock and roll yeah. guy to he had just, you know, because before he ever joined them for the Tributaries album, yep. he was playing bass for him for yeah. a brief yeah, amount of time. There. You yes, know, was, yeah, yeah, when Doug left him before they got right. Jay in. Yeah. So, you know, he was playing bass for them, and so he was doing the, the syndicate thing, and so he wasn't interested in, in our little circus, right. you know, that we had going on over there. And so we just kept going as three-piece and playing and playing, so he ended up, joined them as a second guitarist, did tributaries, right. did, you know, a bunch of touring with them. And when they, um, when that finally, you know, fell apart and right. he um, parted ways with Acoustic right. Syndicate, I got a call one day and said, y'all still want a guitarist? <laughs> I said, sure, man. And so he came on board, and then it kind of evolved into the tater that kind yeah, of that yeah. gigged for so much right. for so many years, oh, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so you know, we had a good run it with tater, you know. I mean, we played a, run, a lot, yeah. you know. We were together for ten years, yeah. you know. So um, and played a lot of fun gigs, played a lot of good yeah. festivals, had a great time, you know. Recorded some really good music, yeah, you man. Did. You know, I mean, it, was, it was, stuff, it, was it was it was. And, you know, that was a big learning experience for me, you know, because... Uh, what was it? You could see the, the evolution. You yeah. Know? I, mean, oh, I could see the evolution with each each thing, each project you did. You oh, know? yeah. It's funny because I, I, I recently found some pictures of Tater from playing out at a... Uh, get together at Joe Kendrick's house, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, and it's like I, I, I was, I had a shaved head at the time and my glasses on and, and it's just me and John and the drum machine and it <laughs> was, you funny. know, and to think of what it ended up becoming, oh, oh, you know, know. Yeah, oh, yeah. So, you know, but that was a fun ride, man. We had a lot of fun with the tater thing yeah, tater and, thing you know, it, it was a lot of fun and when that, you know, yeah, you know, it was a good chance to meet a lot of people yeah. in that bluegrass scene it too was, and that yes. kind of jam grass and, and that, all that and kind the of whole green acres deal too right yeah, yeah. exactly well you, you know you, you you did the same thing yeah, when your mama said yeah, days yeah, you know i mean we, yeah. we did a lot played yeah, a lot of the did. same yeah, places yeah, to a lot of the same crowds yeah. knew a lot of the same people yeah. you know fun so time. it was a fun time man there was a lot of opportunity for that at that time you had green acres yeah. and all that stuff going on and there were places like you know uh you know all that fireman's kitchen oh, yeah. and all that There's stuff was going on and yeah, yeah oh man it was great you know so um but um and then when the tater thing kind of you know had run its course and kind of fizzled out at that point i was kind of itching to get back to some you know rock and roll it'd been so long since mm -hmm. i played rock and roll right. so that's when that tater family traveling circus came right. in and it was yeah, yeah. it was kind of a short-lived thing it only made it about three right. years but but it was it was a different it was kind yeah. of a combination it was exactly I guess man. it was the animal house version of no the animal it would be the animal house because it would be animal bag meets tater so I guess right yeah exactly animal house right thing. yeah exactly it was and it was just you know getting back to putting some electric stuff in
in there, and then taking some of the Tater songs and going, well, what if we reinvented these right. as a let you know? So it was re- revisiting some of the songs and reworking them, and just seeing, you know, hmm, what different directions could this go? And you added additional players during that. Yeah, time. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Corbett Richards was playing drums, and um, uh, had Ashley Conine on. Um, Guitar and then Jonathan Bolin was playing bass, you know. Um, so it, it, it was, you know, it was a lot of fun, man. Yeah. We had a good time. We, we played around a lot, and it was um, recorded a really good album with them, yeah, you know. So, um, and then you know that just kind of fizzled out because you know so many of the guys in the band had kids that were yeah, getting to that yeah, age that yeah, every weekend it was a yeah. soccer match or a, you know this and that and the other, and so you know it was just kind of one of those things that you know there was. So many things competing for everybody's time that it it just kind of you know just yeah, kind of fell a apart. Thing. I mean, yeah, there's a life, there's a, a shelf life. I think. Yeah, bands you're right. Part, there you know? is. I mean, they run their course. Yeah. I mean, we've both done a a, a billion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know. So after that, no, honest, no shame in bands going their ways. No, it's no, just, and, and you know, it's part of the music. It life. is, you know, and, and you and with every band that ends, you take something from that That's into true. your next project, yeah, you yeah. know. So so it's all an evolution, it's all a learning process and it's all uh you, the, the, the longer you keep going and the more people you play with, you know, and, and that I think that for me is the big thing is I've always enjoyed playing with different people yeah, yeah. because you, you, you yeah, <laughs> well, you know, you, you pick up so much, you do, you even subconsciously, you, even though you don't realize it yeah, just yeah. for, and then other people have other things that they're into that you might not have been exposed to before. Oh, yeah. And oh, you start, yeah. you know, and it well, just brings it back to your love of learning. Yeah, exactly. Learning. You know, and just, and, that, musically, for me, I guess there's never really been anything off limits. I've never said, "Oh, I can't do that." Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I looked at you know, I look at bands like you know the Beatles, oh. and you go, "Okay, the same guys that wrote I Want to Hold Your Hand' did Happiness Is a Warm Gun.' Yeah, they did. I mean, and, oh, and, and that's that's a prime example of of no no rules, really. Yeah, no rule, and and but see. The, the, the crazy thing about the Beatles and bands that are, I think the bands that are able to do that and stick around, at, you know, and not alienate their fan base completely, right. is that even though those songs are so drastically different, there's some kind of thread of continuity that runs through that that True. makes it all sound like the Beatles. Yeah, it does. You know, I mean, the same thing with like, you know, whether it's Led Zeppelin, Jethro Tull, right. you know, a lot of these where you can hear one, two different songs by the same band and totally you would different, but completely you know it's, different, yeah. but, you know, but it makes sense. And that is the longevity, I think, of yeah. all of it. Yeah, and that's always been my thing is is to not to shy away from something and sure. go, oh, that doesn't sound like us, yeah. but to take something that you that you maybe new stuff you get exposed to or new stuff you find out that you enjoy and go how can I incorporate that into what what I'm I'm doing doing. you know and and basically playing you know I I think it is taking what you learn and applying it yeah it totally is you know and and for me that that's the challenge that's what keeps it from never getting old you know that's why you never get burned out on it because there's always something new to do you know there's always a new way you can approach something there's always a new angle you can go you know there's yeah, that, that that I still say that one day I want to do an album called mixtape, oh. and I want to try to write songs in 
every different style I can try to write them in and that put out an album it. where it would all be originals. Right. But like I might try an electronic dance song yeah, or yeah. something. And you know, just try all this stuff just to see if I can I do, do it. I understand that. I mean, I kinda, you know, just I for the challenge. Do that stuff yeah. Just for fun sometimes at yeah. the house, you know. Oh, yeah. It's the whole, you know, I mean, it. it I look at people like Todd Rundgren, you yeah. know, oh, yeah. that, you know, just would just hole up in a studio and just sit there sure. and just create stuff just because he yeah. had the, you know, the opportunity to do it, you one know. Of my, and, one of my favorite guys these days is Todd Snyder. He's oh. so different. He One time he's the singer, songwriter, guitarist, the next thing he's got that hardworking American going oh, on. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you don't know. He'll he'll attempt anything. Well, we've gotten to be good friends over the years with uh, Elizabeth Cook. Sure, yeah. You know, well, that's she, another one. She's a good friend of Todd's, you know. Yeah, she does a lot. Yeah, she she plays some with hardworking Americans yeah. and stuff. And um, so yeah, Todd is a great example, yeah. man, because Todd's a total chameleon. Oh, it he it is. just depends on what what he's doing and what he's into at the time. But he's and entertaining. He can just, oh yeah, he, oh yeah, yeah, he's a trip. He's yeah. a fun guy. Yeah. No. Exactly. Elizabeth is so good too. Oh, man. she's and she's such a cool person, man. Uh, you know, uh, Amanda. You know, my wife, yeah. uh, Amanda. Got into her years ago. In fact, the first time she met her was at WGWG. Oh, where yeah. they, she came yeah. over there during the um, um, whatever uh, the first album, the one "Balls to Be a Woman." Oh, you know yeah, that yeah, album. Yeah. That's great. She album, came up. Yeah, she came up there and did a little interview and everything at the studio. And Amanda and then went up to see her, and they just stayed in touch ever since. That's cool. And um, in fact, she's going. Here in a couple of weeks to see Elizabeth up at the Purple Onion. You yeah, know? Oh, so yeah. they still stay in touch. You know, they'll text each other and stuff. You know, and Plus, it's just I listen to her radio show. Oh, her radio yeah. show's a hoot, yeah, man. Yeah, hoot, she, yeah, she's great. But uh, um, uh, but yeah, she. There's just so much. The the people that I think that I that I enjoy and the ones that seem to have that kind of longevity are the ones that don't put a bunch of restraints on what they do, man. You know, and I, I enjoy that. You know, I, I'm willing to go for the ride with a band. You know, right. whereas a lot of people, you know, you know, if a band takes too much of a turn for them, they get turned off. Oh, yeah. and they, you know, oh, yeah. but you know, I mean, it, it's just uh, you know, I think it's a total love of music. It, it it is, man. You know, and uh, yeah, and just uh, just that the want to hear what somebody's going to come up with next, oh, you know, so, you know, but, um, you know, that, that, you know, and speaking about, you know, I was talking about, you know, Amanda being the one right. that got to know, um, Liz and everything. Yeah. That's what you, and we've talked earlier about how a lot of people give up relationships sure. and everything yeah, else for music. You know, that's one area I'm really fortunate in. We met, uh, you know, Amanda's from Eastern North Carolina. Right. She's from Greenville. And, but we met out in Los Angeles you know, she was living out, she had moved out there to try to get into the record industry right. end of the music business. Yeah. And I'd moved out there to try to, you know, um, be on the performing be, be end. With, yeah. And so we met through her sister. Her sister was out there with her uh, then husband. And he was playing with a metal band also out of North Carolina. And all the North Carolina people that were out there at the time kind of found each other, right. you know, and hung out together. Right. And her sister actually introduced us. And, um, you know, we hit it right off, but it. I think, to for something to work in a situation like this, you 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 have to have somebody that kind of understands it and understands what's going have, on. Oh, it's it's hard. It's hard. I, you yeah. know, I have this theory that spouses of musicians get a free pass to heaven. Yeah. I mean, you know, it doesn't matter what else they do. You I know, think you're you stay right. Stay with one very long. Yeah, it's a free pass, yeah. man. Oh man, that's like I listen. Um, 
Kenny Rogers, she believes in me, that song. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, it almost made me cry because it's so true, it, it, man. It, it, it is, is so you know, true. And you're a lucky man, I yeah. will tell you that. I, I am, man. I am very lucky because, you know, she understands what it takes because she's been on the other end of it, too. And she's seen, you know, through other bands and other all that stuff, you know. What you the, the commitment and, and the sacrifices? Harder. It is much harder than what people realize. They see the stage version of you. They don't see what it takes to get you to that stage each and every time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just like it. Like I was saying, you know, that we've had such a hard time getting together to do this in oh, the last yeah. two weeks. You oh, know, yeah. I've had to drive back and forth to Tennessee like six times in two weeks. You know, I mean, just to play shows. You okay. know. Oh, let's go into that. What project you got going now? We're up to the Grassabillies now. <laughs> All right. And the Grassabillies, it was another one. I think the best things come when you don't plan them. Yeah, you know? it could be. Because uh, the way this whole thing got started is uh, Robbie Helton. He's the bass player and, and the, the other, you know, half of the Grassabillies, right. basically. Well, Robbie and I knew each other from back in the day. We were both playing in metal and punk bands back in high school and stuff like that, you know. So anyway, um, I moved to Los Angeles, yeah. you know, Robbie was actually in Los Angeles for a little while going to MIT out there and everything, but then he moved back, uh, he went and got a music marketing degree at Berkeley and all this stuff and ended up in um, Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg yeah. area doing dinner theater. Yeah. He was doing that uh, for a while, he was part of Dixie Stampede right. and then he moved to the Hatfields and McCoy yeah. show yeah. and all that stuff, you know, so he was real involved with that. Well, Robbie... While he was at the Hatfields and McCoys show, um, this little prodigy, Emmy Sunshine. Yeah, I know. Yeah, uh, I know she and her is. family came to one of the shows, and they saw Robbie, and they struck up a friendship. Well, on some of her early touring, they needed a touring guitarist, right. so they enlisted Robbie to go on the road with them. And so, for like a little over a year, Robbie was on the road with Emmy Sunshine as her touring guitarist yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so. He went out and did the, you know, the touring and stuff with Emmy Sunshine. And uh, when he got, and we kind of reconnected on Facebook, you know, right. we had just kind of, you know, what's up, man, and yeah. all that kind of stuff, you know. So when he got done with the Emmy Sunshine tour and was back at home, um, Amanda and I had the little vintage store uptown, yeah. you know, Hippo Cap. And um, um, I think it was Time Warner Cable or somebody was coming to Shelby to do, f film a little thing on Uptown right. Shelby. right. And so they were making their rounds to some of the businesses uptown. And they knew that we occasionally had live entertainment in the little window over there at Hippocat. So um, they had hit us up and said, hey, when we're doing our filming, is there any way you could have a you know, couple of people right. just in there jamming? They said, it's not anything that'll really be a feature. It'll be right. kind of like background stuff, you know. So um, I'd been just uh, since traveling circus fell apart i'd just been doing solo shows right. just kind of jamming on my own and so you know randy randy saxon yes, would come play some you know he'd show up every now and then play some shows with me when i was doing the solo mm -hmm. stuff and so uh, i told randy that they were wanting somebody to be up there for you know this right. time warner cable thing so randy me and randy were gonna stand up there and just pick and so i called i hit robbie up because i knew he was home you right. know i'm like hey man i was like um, time warner cable's doing this thing in shelby um do you want to come down and um you know, jam with us. I said, it ain't going to be much. I said, you know, but uh, he's like, sure, man, I ain't got nothing going on. I'll, I'll do it, you know. So he came down, and we just stood there and jammed that day while they were filming. Well, it went really, really good. I mean, from the first time we played together, it went good, right. you know. Oh, yeah, I do and know we that. were like, dang, man, we should do something, you know, with this, you know. Right. And so we just kind of 
decided that we would, you know, see if we could book a few shows, see kind of what happened, and everything it was just kind of a throw-together thing. And Robbie had already had another version of the Grassabillies like years ago, you know. And but he had but the old version of the Grassabillies had done stuff like played the um, Bluegrass Festival at Dollywood oh, and yeah. stuff like that, you know. So he's like, well, man, he's like. Um, we were talking about names for the band and everything. He's like, well, I own the copyrights and everything to the Grassabillies. He's like, I copyrighted it years ago. He said, now, I kind of already got an in at some of these places yeah, because, was, it, you yeah, know, he's like, if you, yeah, doors open. you know, and he's like, if you want to just use that name, he says, I think I even got a couple old T-shirts we could sell. <laughs> and I was like, sure, man, let's do it. That sounds good. Yeah. You know? So we just uh, took on that moniker, you know, and just kind of revamped it. And... Um, you know, Robbie had so many connections from being around Pigeon sure. Forge and Gatlinburg yeah. for so long, you know. Oh, yeah. And so all of a sudden we were doing stuff for, you know, the city, our town of Gatlinburg right. and stuff like that. And he got us, uh, you know, Blue Plate Special on WDVX yeah. Oh, yeah. and all that I kind of that, stuff. Yeah. And so it just kind of started happening kind of quick, you know. Yeah. And then I had connections down at the beach because we'd been working with a booking agent down there for, you know, 14 oh, years yeah, or guess, something, yeah, you know. So, yeah. So between my connections and his connections, we were all, we were able to immediately just kind of start, you just know, gigging, fast. you know, moving yeah. fast, you know, and, and getting some decent gigs and everything. And then he had done some stuff. He had done a run into Canada with Emmy Sunshine. And we so called the there, called man. the promoters up there. They, you know, bluegrass is huge up there, you know. Oh, so, yeah. so we've done you know two runs through Nova Scotia and everything. That's pretty cool. And you know, I mean, and you know, Randy was with us for you know yeah. all this stuff. And then I think the the Canada trip. We were up there for like twenty one days, man. It was a long time in Canada. And you know, I you know, I, I just think it was to the point that you know, Randy didn't enjoy. Being gone well, you for t- well, that you talk, long. You talk about road, and yeah. not, that's a prime example. Yeah, you know, I, 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 he just, I don't think that was what he was really into it for, was being gone for, you know, right. a month at yeah, a time he's not and a road stuff. Guy. Yeah, I mean, he's not. So, yeah, so, um, so when things, so when we kind of split with Randy and, he, you know, he, and he's, you know, he stays at home and does kind of, you know, he, he still does stuff up here, you know, Dragonfly with Dale Britton and all that stuff, you know. Randy's still playing. He's just not doing all this road stuff and everything. And we still see Randy all the time, you know, and all that, you know, talk to him and everything. But um, after, you know, we um, parted with Randy, we just didn't really get a concrete third member right then. We've just... Okay.
All right, we're back and we're in the grassability years and we're down to a two-man grassability. Yeah, so we just decided, you know what, for right now, um, we're just going to work with kind of rot- a rotating cast of third members. Is that hard to find one? Or do you have one? Not typically. Every now and then you will run into a, a difficult situation like you'll book a gig and it's one, like one of those holiday weekends or something where every Everybody's musician you booked. know is already booked. So you, know? you have like a list. That yeah, we have a I lot of people list, yeah. Yeah, that we work with, you know, and it's turned out really good because it's given us an opportunity to jam with a bunch of there different again, yeah, you know, people. Yeah, What you talked about earlier about all the different people, different Oh, yeah. And then, you know, uh, uh, some shows you'll have a show where we're with a fiddle player. Some shows it's a mandolin player. Some shows banjo player. Some shows dobro player. You right. know, So it keeps it interesting for the people who come to see a show, too, because you, you, you get a little bit something different each time, True. you know. And then it's given us an opportunity to work with a lot of really cool people. Alan. Alan Bybee, <laughs> yeah, man. God, you know, I mean, he just won IBMA Mandolin Player of the Year. He beat, you know, Sam yeah. Bush, Sierra Hull. I, I mean, just a whole R- Ronnie McCurry, you yeah. know. But Alan plays a, a lot of shows with Down at the Beach. He lives yeah, down he, at Surfside Beach. Yeah, he does you know? play with y'all a lot, yeah. Yeah, and so we ended up, our booking agent is good friends with Alan. And I'd actually met Alan during the Traveling Circus days. Okay. He had came and sat in on a show with 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 us back then you know and so uh, when we started doing some shows down there and we're needing a third member you know Scott our booking agent was like well call Alan I was like, you think Alan would do a show with us? You know, because Alan, you know, I mean, yeah, Alan's a big deal, you know. He's a big deal. Yeah, big you know, I mean, he's, you know, yeah. third time out, yeah, Balkan exactly. Bobby and Blue Ridge, oh, yeah. all that stuff, you know. And then, you know, then his band Grasstown now yeah, yeah. is just, you know, doing great. And so we, we, have a blast playing with Alan and Alan you know we have a good time because Alan gets to do stuff with us that he doesn't yeah, he get, to get to do with do. the other yeah. band you yeah, know because we're not that. you know we can do the traditional stuff and we still enjoy doing traditional stuff but we can kind of get out on a limb too True. and you know most of the stuff Let that Alan stretch, gets to play yeah. is pretty straight True. and so he enjoys that getting out there you know and getting to do a little bit different stuff so I you know I saw you guys with a really bang up fiddle player from somewhere that I didn't know oh man well fiddling Matt this guy Matt Matt that um, plays with the at the Alabama Theater down there. Matt's done some stuff with us, uh, do some stuff with Jeff White. We've um, uh, Cody Bauer has been doing some shows with us lately. An incredible fiddle player. Uh, you know, he's um, uh, from Knoxville. Um, and then um, what about at, Vernon? Where's he at these? Days? Oh, Ver- Vernon. We do a lot of shows with Vernon too. Vernon Hensley. Vernon's a great guy, man. And I, you know, and if. If this had happened years ago, Vernon would probably be the third member of the band. But, you know, Vernon's already, already had a thing going. You know, yeah, Vernon plays, you know, with um, Bad Romeo doing the yeah. hair metal thing. Yeah, you know. Still, yeah. And then he's got a, a really successful uh, wholesale flower right, business he does, that yeah. he can't, you know, just give up, you right. know. So, so you know, Vernon, we do as many shows as we can. We love Vernon, you know. So we do as many shows. And Vernon speaks rock and roll like yeah, we do, does, too, yeah, you know. Does, so, yeah, he does. So, you know, it, it's, and then, but we... We've got done some stuff with, um, done a few shows with um, Gary Davis. He goes by Biscuit, you know. But yeah. Biscuit Davis, you know, he's a four-time national banjo champion. He's produced two of Dolly Parton album, her albums. You know, he, he uh, does some touring with Dolly. You know, and, and there again, I guess I guess he gets to stretch too, out from what he normally does. Oh uh, yeah, and, and, but what's I so think cool? That's your selling point. I, I, you know what, man? I, it, it, we have been very fortunate that we, you know, because you kind of worry about running some of these guys off if you're going to get two out there for. It. But it seems like 
they welcome the opportunity to be able to come in because we've still got a foot firmly in traditional grass, but, you know, it, mean, it's, I, it's kind of fun to go out on a limb every now and then. I do. I mean, I, I enjoy it myself. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's fun to do something different. Yeah, and, and you know, and then it's, it's, um, it's it, I think it's played to our advantage because it's kind of, given us a way to stand out from the rest of the traditional bluegrass stuff you know so we ended up uh, we just signed a record deal with a label out of Sevierville Tennessee um, Sound Biscuit Productions and so we're recording the follow-up to the uh, first Grass of Billy's album first Grass of Billy's album was you know self-financed threw together in about a week you know and that kind of thing just to get something out there you know needed something to book shows you know so so we're we're working on what we call the first real album now you know but um, it's great because we had made all these friends. So, you know, the new album, we've got oh, Alan yeah. Bobby doing mandolin yeah, tracks. We've got Biscuit yeah, Davis yeah. doing banjo tracks. we yeah. got, you know, we just got some, Laura Orshaw doing fiddle tracks. I mean, we've got some incredible players. So I told Robbie, I said, man, we're never going to be able to afford the band to tour this <laughs> thing, man. So, well, you, you know, did you write a bunch of stuff for it? Yeah, me and Robbie have been doing a lot of writing. Uh, you know, we've both written songs on our own that are going to be on the album, but we've been doing a lot of uh, co-writing, which I've you the know two, the two of y'all. Uh huh. Yeah, two of us. You know, uh, and I've never been in a situation where I've done a whole lot of co-writing. Me, me neither. I struggle with with uh, co-writing for some reason. Yeah, and the, honestly, Robbie's the first guy that I've ever really been able to co-write with. You know, and uh, it, it's fun when it works. You know, I mean, it's it's. Um, it's one of those things that I think the biggest thing to do is just not force it. You know, don't go in and flog a dead horse. If it's not happening, move on to move something, on something else. Different. You know, so, but we've got it, you know, it's like Robbie will come in with the, the kind of the genesis of a song and go, you know, look, dude, here's what I got so far, but I'm, I'm at a dead end, you know, and then he'll play it for me and then I'll go, hey, what about this? You know, Are you we'll doing start. all the lyrics or does he do any lyrics? We both do lyrics. Okay, we both good. do lyrics. We both that's do good. music. That's what's so nice about it, man, you know, is that um, it, it is, you know, it, you're talking, you know, we were talking about it you know what keeps it fresh right. for you and this is kind of a new area for me is that you know doing some co-writing and stuff you know and it's amazing that i've made it this long and not done it i mean with the animal bag thing we did right. a lot of co-writing i mean but, i've done it too but it's never been a real big part of, right yeah you know but and a lot of times it's just you're not with people long enough i think exactly you know to well, really and get I, that i'll be the first to admit it i'm a control freak well, man you know i mean you know and you know which is a lot of times when i write songs or what you know when a song comes together i hear the whole thing finished yeah. you know and i mean not to the point that i'm going to tell the bass player exactly right, how exactly. to play but or whatever but i've got an idea of how you know the melody and how the, the mood and all that kind of stuff yeah, you know i do i do understand. so you know you got to but i think that's a big part of evolving and um and moving forward with your musical journey journey is sometimes giving up some of that control and letting somebody else come in and you know seeing what you come up true, with you know true. because i mean and that's growth also yeah it is you know so um but yeah we're so we're working on this follow-up album now um sound biscuit is a great little label man they're kind of an up-and-coming uh, dave maggard that owns it he um has built this unbelievable studio man it's it's unbelievable studio that he has um built there in Sevierville where we're recording but he um 
Poe Ramblin' Boys. Yeah, yeah. They just got nominated. They're actually yeah. their album uh, just got nominated for a Grammy. Yeah, I saw that. And they did. it was recorded at Dave's studio. Oh, really? Dave recorded it. That's cool. And so you know, he did their first album. Their first album was on Sound Biscuit. Okay. They, they did a uh, gospel EP with Dave before they got picked up by Rounder. Oh yeah. So we're hoping that maybe our journey can be take a similar path. Well, you know, you and um, Grammy nominated. Yeah, uh, producers. Yeah, exactly. So the, the, you know, everything's work. You know, seems and producers, to be producers. People never people underestimate the importance of a good producer. People, yeah. It, sometimes there's nothing more valuable, especially when you when you've been doing this for so long without any kind of outside right. influence. Having somebody else that can come in and give their opinion on stuff when it's needed. Of course, sometimes they wreck them too. Oh, right? sometimes, yeah, yeah. I mean, so, yeah. So, I mean, it, Dave's it, pretty good. Dave, take. Dave's pretty good because he'll he'll lay back, but if he hears something, he'll throw it in and just go, "What well, have you thought about this? What do you think about this?" You know, you know. So, yeah. but and um, it, it it it's been a, it's been a lot of fun working with Dave, and the stuff that's come that's turned out is really good so far. We've got one little batch of songs we, we're trying to record everything in batches we've got one little batch done so that we can um, hopefully get a single out we got a tentative date on this thing uh the album release will probably be march or april of next year but we're hoping to have the single out um end of this month or the beginning of december and of course it'll go to you know every station that has a bluegrass show and then we're gonna you know it'll be set to you know serious xm to bluegrass junction and all that stuff and hopefully get some airplay there so you know we're and of course, the um, it, it doesn't hurt when you've got Alan Bobby on no, the album and Biscuit Davis no, and some of that. You know, doesn't. I mean, I, you know, it, at least if it lands in somebody's hands, they go, True. "Who are these guys? And how do they? How do they know these people?" Yeah. That, you oh know. yeah, you know, and that that's good. Plus, yeah. I guess that's sitting up for a big summer of touring coming up. That's what we. we Next year is so up in the air, man, and I know I'm driving our booking agent down at the beach crazy because he's like, you know, dudes, we need to get, you know, go ahead and get these runs set up. I do. But I'm not wanting to, you know, but that's what I got to call him and talk to him this week because, you know, I'm afraid we're going to end up in a situation several times this year where we're going to have runs booked that are booked way in advance. And then, you know, knock you out of other stuff. Yeah, or we're going to have to cancel a run because, you know, we can't ignore this bluegrass festival circuit. And and the festival circuit is. Festival circuit is is, what. It is. That's what you want. We've got to crack it this year, you know, because. If you crack that, you're pretty pretty well. Yeah, Yeah. and that's that's the only thing that, you know, you can do these bar gigs till you're blue in the face, playing to, you know, 40 people or something a night, you know. But when you can get to these festivals festivals and you can play to a few thousand at a time, that's when you start making some headway, you know. And so that's what we're hoping that this next year will hold for us is a lot more, you know, uh, opportunity to get on this bluegrass festival circuit, you know, maybe get on bluegrass cruise or something like that, you know. So, you know, we did a cruise, though, didn't you? I did a cruise, man. We weaseled our way onto the Kid Rock cruise. It was was funny because Robbie had done it before. Robbie had done some shows. Tim Watson, yeah, is, Tim Watson. is fiddle, fiddle player. Man, yeah, yeah, fiddle man Tim Watson, and he's uh, he's the uh, tour and fiddle player for Kid Rock. When yeah. Kid Rock does his country right. stuff and takes out a fiddle player, so he does the cruise every year, plays with Kid Rock and all that stuff. And so he always uh, Kid Rock lets him take his own band on the cruise too, and they play as the Tim Watson band. Right. Robbie had done uh, one of the cruises, Tim Watson band. Next year when it rolls around, they asked Robbie to go play again, and. Um, Robbie hits me up. You know, Grass Billy's already going at this point. Right. Robbie hits me up. He's like, hey, man, if I can get you on this Kid Rock cruise, do you want to go? 
I said, yeah, man, I'll go. He said, cool. He said, well, Tim had asked me, he said, uh, Tim asked me if my buddy played mandolin, you know, on anything. <laughs> and he said, um, he, he does now. <laughs> he said, do, do you think he could play Copperhead Road? I said, oh, yeah, man, I can figure out Copperhead Road. Never. I had a mandolin, but right. I never played the thing, man. I, I was even, you know, I mean, yeah, it, right. never, you right. know. And so he said, he said, cool, I'm going to call him back. He calls him back, calls me back about an hour later. He said, all right, man, you're on, but he wants you to play like the whole show. He's like, so um, he's sending us the set list. <laughs> and so we had, to go two, we had to go two times to Nashville for rehearsals for this thing. And they sent me a, song, a list of like 20 songs I had to learn. I'd never played mandolin ever, <laughs> dude. And so all of a sudden, I mean, every waking hour, I'm trying to figure out how to play the mandolin, you know. <laughs> And so my first time playing, you know, we were so deep in it this time, we couldn't tell him, right. we don't really know how to play the mandolin. You know, it's like figured out, you know. So so my first time playing mandolin in front of anybody was on the main stage on the Kid Rock cruise, you know. So it was like one of those baptism by fire yeah. things, you know. So, But it went good. We, we, we had my cheat sheets laying on the ground there, you know, where nobody could see them. Yes, and so, yeah, so it worked out good, you know. And I've actually gotten into playing mandolin now and I've gotten way better at it you know you so play I actually, it on the shows yeah today, I yeah. actually play mandolin you know during the show we do you know some you know do um Bill Monroe tune yeah. we do you know some yeah different That's things cool. so yeah, it's, again it's, it's the learning thing it is man it's fun yeah so. well you seem to be no less enthusiastic about music than the day you started. I, it, man, it just you know it just keeps going and it keep it's fun all the time. And you know at this point, you know I'm 50 years old, so you know I go, I got over half my life invested in yeah. this. Why would I give up now? You know I'm I'm a lifer, man. I'm gonna be like Willie Nelson. I want to die on stage. You yeah. know, so you know. Oh, yeah. it's, I, mean, it's, I, you know. I, I, I mean, I would. It would totally surprise me if if you weren't yeah. going. To, I mean. You know, I see that your future. Being yeah, you know, I mean, this. I just want to keep doing it. You know, so um, uh, yeah, and I think the you know one of the big things that I've learned from all this is you don't really have to be the best musician or the best singer or anything. You just got to stick with it and you got to get good at what you do. Yeah. You know? I mean, uh, I kind of made a living that way. I yeah, mean, I mean, that's what I said. I, I said, I, I, said I, I have had more fun being one of the world's most mediocre musicians. And I, you know, and I, and, I do understand that because but, I've worked my whole life and everybody's <laughs> better than me, but I've always worked. But I've always worked. That's yeah. exactly the same thing, you know, and I'll be the first to admit I am no virtuoso guitarist. I'm not a great singer. You know, I, I put, as far as singers, I put myself in there with the, um, you know, the Bob Dylans and, you know, maybe well, the Tom Petty's and stuff that. Well, I think you're not giving yourself enough credit. Well, you know, I, I think I have one of those voices that whether you like it or not, you know who it is as soon yeah, as I well, start singing. And I've been, you know? been kind of cursed with that in my life, yeah, too. I mean, know. it's one of those things. That, but Bob Dylan was one of the first and big influences where the light went off on and me. I, I can write what I need to, and, and I can play it. I don't have to be the greatest. It's more about... The whole content of everything yeah, exactly. than, it is, than it is the individual parts. Well, right? that's what I said. I, I'm not a great instrumentalist. I'm not a great singer, but I've gotten to where I'm a pretty decent songwriter. Yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, that, yeah. if I had to pick my thing, I'm strongest at. I guess that would be sure what I consider my forte. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, I think because I, think I agonize over songwriting, man. I sit there, I throw more away than I keep. You oh, know, yeah, you I know. Do. And, you know, that kind of stuff where you listen to it the next sure. day and go, whoo, that's horrible. Oh, yeah. What oh, was God. I thinking? You know, I, so. I've been doing, uh, 
new Christmas songs, yeah. and I'm dumping about all of them. You know, I, I, I told Been Kevin, there, done that, I man. I told Kevin the other day, I said, I hate these these songs. I, I think I'm quitting them. Yeah. You know, I've written them, and I don't like them. So yeah, oh, man, it, you know, that's like I've got, you know, the... the the voice memo thing on my phone is oh, just yeah, slammed full, full of riffs and then little things where I'm going da 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 you know like you know I'll think of a melody line and I'll yeah. oh yeah, so, mine, yeah mine is too and I'll put down words you know and have an idea and then I'll, at my age now I go what kind of melody did I have going with this? You know, like, <laughs> exactly, I'm, I'm dude. Clueless. I like the words, but I can't match. It I up can't remember. Yeah, I, I can't remember what I was doing. That, yeah, that's exactly. why I started recording everything. It used to be until somebody clued me in about the voice memo thing. Because yeah. I would, I would, t- I would do a video and I would just lay the phone down and just, you know, and play. Oh, so I did the that audio. too. A lot, and that yeah. way, when I'd go back through my pictures, if I saw a black square, I knew that was a, a song <laughs> idea. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, I do. I mean, I yeah. do. I do understand that. I mean, yeah. I use the voice memo. And for so many years, I would pick up stuff around the house, everything from an envelope to a cereal box, and it'd be something I'd, I'd written on. Oh yeah, I remember. I still find that. stuff, man. I find pieces of lyrics, you know, in in different places where I've stuck them there. Stuff I don't even remember yeah, writing. Oh yeah. You know, so yeah. And then sometimes I'll look back on old stuff that I've written and think, how did I ever write that? That's actually pretty good. And oh, I, don't, I don't remember actually. The whole process of that, you know? Yeah, I, 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 the, the one thing about songwriting for me is it seems like if I sit, I can't really sit down with the goal of writing a song because I usually... Right, I have the clear blue air. Yeah, right, you I know, I hear. mean, usually something will trigger something. You're like in the shower or something, and all yeah. of a sudden comes into oh, you. Yeah. got to get to a guitar as quick as you can, yeah, yeah. and it just kind of flows out. You know, it's it's like whether it's almost like channeling something from yeah. somewhere else. Yeah, it's it not, you know, um, it's not one of those things where you just sit there and rack your brain over it. My best songs are stuff that's come out yeah, in five minutes. Yeah, you know, kind of so, mine too. You know, I mean, so. I may have to adjust a little bit here and there. Yeah, you tweak it out. Long, you know, but, but the the, basic, the gist of yeah, it. Yeah, the whole gist yeah. of it. Oh yeah, I'm the same way, man. You know, my best stuff just kind of flowed out. Yeah. And, you know, and then I throw away a bunch of stuff that I agonize for hours oh, over. Oh, I've know, had so. songs that I've worked on for years and never have been able to get right. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I like the idea of it. I just never been able to it get it. It just never has been no, right. Yeah. You know, me too, man. But then I've written them in five minutes and they're like, yeah, man, this is one of the best. Oh, yeah. Thing, you know? Exactly. Yeah. It's hard to explain that stuff. It is. It happens. <laughs> Luke, you're a very busy guy and I'm glad you took the time to uh, come and do this. Oh, man, I had a blast. Thank you, think, you for uh, having me. I'm sorry it took us so long to get together, but, hey, it finally happened. So, and, yeah. listen, I think we got, uh, I think everybody knows a little piece of your story. I don't think anybody knows the whole thing. Yeah. I certainly didn't. I, I've enjoyed This has been fun for me. Oh, well, it's been fun for me, man. I, I tell you what, it's it, it's been a fun journey to this point, and I just can't wait to see where it's going. I think it's going to go on for a while. I hope so, man. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Sandy. <laughs>